Welcome to Hogue MD, a new medical podcast by physicians for physicians. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Hogue MD, a medical podcast engaging the physician community of Orange County. During each discussion, we'll dive into the background of the talented physicians practicing right here in Southern California and discuss the groundbreaking clinical work being led at Hogue. Our guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Raskin. Dr. Raskin recently joined Hogue as the surgical director for the Margolis Family Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program within Hogue's Digestive Health Institute. Dr. Raskin is a fellowship-trained colorectal surgeon with 20 years' experience advancing state-of-the-art technologies and innovative surgical techniques. She specializes in the treatment of complex colon, rectal, and anal conditions, including laparoscopic and robot-assisted surgical techniques, and she believes we must use our experience, instinct, and imagination to reach beyond traditional boundaries to pave the way for better healthcare today and tomorrow. As a perpetual student, Dr. Raskin is uniquely interested in energy medicine and functional healing as an adjunct to surgical care. As a researcher, Dr. Raskin has specific interests in IBD, complex diverticular disease, and ostomy creation and care. She has written and contributed to numerous peer-reviewed publications and textbooks and has presented multiple national and international lectures on a wide array of colorectal topics. Dr. Raskin lectures, teaches, and trains surgeons of all levels, as well as allied health representatives on robotics. How about that intro, Dr. Raskin? Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, let's talk a little bit about, um, we're going to be educating some physicians here and talking more about the mind-gut connection. Can you describe what the mind-gut connection is and how it works? Absolutely. So this is a big focus of medical research right now, which is looking at the connection between the mind and the gut and the conversations that the two are having constantly within the body. And this is where the mind is um, communicating to the gut through hormones, or what we call the neuroendocrine system, which basically takes place in a portion of our brain called the hypothalamus. And it's communicating with the hormone-producing glands of our body called the endocrine system. So this neuroendocrine system is sending messages to our gut and the gut is then experiencing either um, the need to expedite the, 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 the transport of the material in the gut or creating bloating or creating some kind of symptom that is triggered by the, the endocrine system that um, is messaging it. Um, alternatively, we also have messages that are going from the gut back to the brain. And a lot of this is triggered by the bacterial content of our gut and the hormones that are being produced by what we call the microbiome. Mm. And tell a little more about microbiome, because I know you were excited to, to let physicians know what's been going on in that space, maybe research in that space, um, some of the more exciting things you've seen um, recently when it comes to that. Right. So the microbiome is a huge topic for um, medical research, but also just amongst ourselves. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, how does the bacterial content of our gut then influence the things that go on in our lives? Because honestly, this impacts our sense of well-being, our sleep and wake cycles, our mood. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and how the microbiome is affecting our well-being. And the microbiome is basically the collection of microorganisms that exist in the intestinal tract, it, not only the intestinal tract, but within ourselves and on ourselves. So this is the skin, this is the GI tract, but also the mouth and even the reproductive uh, tract. 
where natural bacteria, viruses, and yeast lived to create a sense of homeostasis or just well-being for ourselves. And we were talking before about the the how the mind-gut connection, you know, we're talking about stress and anxiety and things like that. And sometimes if you are a stressful event in your life, that can affect your gut and vice versa. If things aren't going well in your gut, they can create stress and anxiety for you. Can you talk more That's about right. that connection? Actually, one of the biggest areas that we're recognizing as an important um, example of this is when patients need antibiotics, for let's just say a skin condition, mm -hmm. that can impact the microbiome or the bacterial content of our gut. And so we will have patients that experience looser stools, diarrhea, maybe cramping or bloating. Once again, this is sending messages to our gut of an, a feeling of unwellness. Mm. And what we need to do is re-nourish the gut when we have needed to be on antibiotics for a variety of reasons. And there are patients that have chronic conditions where they're constantly on antibiotics. They have chronic um, inter intermittent urinary tract infections, or they get sinus infections where they're always on antibiotics. The gut is paying a toll in that respect. And so we need to re-nourish the gut with the right foods that we eat, but also looking at things like probiotics, prebiotics, mm -hmm. foods that can um, augment our microbiome. I'm curious, do you feel like that message has changed over the years? I remember taking, you know, antibiotics when I was younger and never got that message of, oh, you need to be eating yogurt or you need to be doing this to balance that. But I feel like now, um, every time I'm prescribed antibiotics or when my children is, that message is clear. Like, oh, we need to do something to balance that. I'm hoping that's yeah. the message that people are hearing because we know that probiotic and prebiotic foods are available really at any grocery store nowadays. And, it, and it's marketed as that right. as well, right? <laughs> so good belly health starts yep. by eating yogurt. And I mean, you can turn on the television within five minutes, you're going to see a commercial that's emphasizing gut health. So I hope that that message is getting out there. But it doesn't mean that we need to be taking pills and capsules and things that we get at the pharmacy. We can be looking at food that we have available to ourselves and just emphasizing that in our diets, making sure, you know, should we need to be on antibiotics, that we are drinking some kefir, that we're eating yogurt, right. that maybe we're having sauerkraut, what have you. But to be familiar with what uh, foods do contain probiotics will then allow the gut to recover more swiftly. I'm glad you brought that up because it is true. Probiotics are marketed so well these days. Very. Is it, can we overuse probiotics or is there a, is there, you, you almost feel like, yeah, okay, I need to go do this. I need to go buy that bottle of probiotics, but should I be taking them if I don't need them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think we... 100% know the answer to that. But what we do know is that the microbiome is basically like a fingerprint for each person. The exact bacterial composition mm. that I need versus another person is, like I mentioned, as, as unique as a person's fingerprint. So we don't know exactly what what each person needs, but we'll start to sense that they need help when they start to manifest symptoms that are concerning. So to overwhelmingly take uh, probiotic capsules and you feel well, it's probably not the right thing. But to have a diet that's rich in probiotic and prebiotic foods would be really smart because we don't know when we're going to get sick. And it also bolsters our immunity so that if we do 
uh, encounter an infection or, you know, nowadays things like COVID mm -hmm. and other viral infections are very common. We want to be walking around with our best immune systems all the time. That's great advice. Uh, for the physicians listening out there, let's talk about you know, some of the new state-of-the-art technologies, surgical techniques, um, some of the therapies that are available at Hogue uh, to treat GI conditions and other diseases you see. Sure. So with the Digestive Health Institute, most of my work is focused with the Margolis Family Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program. So we are treating largely Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And so state-of-the-art to me means that we are communicating with our colleagues and creating teams that can care for patients. No longer is it appropriate to have a patient just have one physician who's, who's being um, a patient who has inflammatory bowel disease. You need a team of subspecialists, and we have those here at Hogue. And those subspecialists range from the radiologists that read the images that we get to evaluate internally what's going on with the patient, to the gastroenterologists who have expertise in medical management of inflammatory bowel disease. And you can watch, you know, 10 minutes of a football game. And the next thing you know, you've got commercials for things for psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease. They're marketing everybody because these autoimmune conditions are so common. Mm -hmm. But we need subspecialists like we have here at Hogue that know how to use in a very nuanced way these medications, the right medication for the right patient. And that is so important. And here at Hogue with our inflammatory bowel disease program, we have subspecialists that are nationally and internationally known for their work for the medical care. We also have surgical care that is state of the art. We have the ability to offer patients minimally invasive surgery through laparoscopic and robotic techniques, but we also understand some of the nuanced surgical techniques that are necessary to treat Crohn's and colitis. These are things that perhaps general surgeons don't encounter as often, and so subspecialty surgical care is really important. Now, we rely on the other teammates to really care for a patient in the best way possible. And our dietitians are extremely helpful for patients' prehabilitation for surgery, so getting ready for surgery during their hospital stay, but also their rehabilitation efforts. So it's a team that makes us really state-of-the-art, and I'm honestly quite proud of the group that we work with. What about some of the behavioral health issues we were talking about? Is there is it the team help with some of those things that are associated with what, you know, these diseases we were just breaking down? Absolutely. So one thing that we know about chronic conditions, which inflammatory bowel disease is, is considered a condition that can be quite chronic, whether it's always uh, flaring or if a patient is experiencing multiple flares over their lifetime, chronic conditions can weigh on us mentally physically and spiritually. And so here in our program, we have care counselors, we have nurse navigators, we have colleagues that work in um, relaxation and mindfulness techniques. And this is a big area for medical research right now is recognizing that the stress, the anxiety, the depression, even what has been termed post-traumatic stress disorder for patients who come in chronically for inflammatory bowel disease. My colleague, Dr. Caroline Huang, who's a medical expert in inflammatory bowel disease, has been reading several papers and sharing them with me about PTSD in the patients that 
have to come in every couple of months or years for either medical interventions or surgery. That's an area that we haven't paid enough attention to, and we hope to be able to identify those patients and get them the need that the help that they need. You mentioned things like mindfulness, and in your intro, we talked about you having an interest in energy medicine and functional healing as an adjunct to surgical care. So can you describe how you optimize both Western and Eastern medicine practices when it comes to digestive care? Absolutely. So when we think about functional or integrative medicine, what we're looking at is integrating the best of Western, and if you have to call it Eastern right. philosophies yeah. of, of, of medicine, but we're looking at bringing the best of those worlds together. So this is a re-emphasis on natural tech, uh, therapies, where we're emphasizing diet, um, a, a term called adaptogens that's been... Uh, been talked about relatively recently, which is certain plants, roots, um, material, plant material that helps bolster our immune system. Um, these are really relevant. These are things that we counsel our patients on. When we think about energy medicine, we're talking about the use of acupuncture, acupressure, Reiki therapy, some of these sorts of interventions that had not had a lot of attention by Western physicians, I think largely because they haven't understood it. Right. And we're not taught that in medical school. But when we see a patient who needs those sorts of treatments and would benefit from them, we find the therapists that are available here at Hogue so that they can help our patients. So being, I would say, open-minded to the fact that there's value in different philosophies of medical care is incredibly important. And we've been supported by Hogue and our program here to, to, to work with those practitioners. Yeah, I'm sure that makes you all the more successful. Can you describe how you, as a specialist then, work with the referring physician to care for patients? Absolutely. So my biggest interest is having a strong communication line. So being able to reach us at any time if a physician wants to even run a situation by us to see whether or not a patient is appropriate for our program. But to start that uh, line of communication early and be um, accountable to the providers that are sending us patients. But it's all about that communication. When we see that breakdown, we feel like we lose trust in a system or we lose trust in a physician. So what we'd like to do with our program is to create really strong bonds so that not only is the care um, easier to, to receive, but that it's comprehensive and that when the patients um, are essentially healed from their surgery, they can go back to their primary care provider and they'll have direction as to what to do next. You've been listening to Dr. Elizabeth Raskin. She is a fellowship-trained colorectal surgeon specializing in the treatment of complex colon, rectal, and anal conditions, including laparoscopic and robot-assisted surgical techniques. She's a surgical director for the Margolis Family Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program within Hoag's Digestive Health Institute. Dr. Raskin, we were just talking about the relationship um, you have with referring physicians, so if there's a member of that community listening today and wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way to reach us is by calling the Digestive Health Institute at 888-574-8029. That's 888-574-8029. 
Fantastic. You've been such a joy to talk to. Great information. Uh, very intriguing discussion we've had here. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Hogue MD. My pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for listening. We look forward to meeting again soon. Thank you for listening to Hogue MD. If you haven't already, please remember to like, comment, and review. And subscribe to catch all our future episodes.